0: What is happening, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Fresh Hope for Better You podcast. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Goulet, and I'm here to bring you some fresh hope for your day. For all you new listeners out there, the purpose of this podcast is to inspire and educate you on how you can become the best version of yourself through fitness, nutrition, mindset, and discipline. I myself have been on the self-development journey for over five years now. and went from being an overweight drug addict to someone who is in complete control of their destiny. I share my experiences and stories that have helped me shape myself into the man I am today in hopes of inspiring you to become the best version of yourself. There is multiple formats to the show. The Monday shows are solo ones where I share personal stories and things that I've learned along my self-development and entrepreneurial journey that I know will help you become a better version of yourself. Thursday's episodes are called Stories of Fresh Hope. That's where I bring on a high-achieving guest that has overcome some adversity in their life to show you that I'm not the only one who has done it, so their stories might resonate with yours better than mine did. With that being said, I'd like to welcome aboard Blake Blakeney, or Zach Blakeney. Welcome aboard, <laughs> brother. I know why I said Blake, my apologies. Uh, it's, it's all
1: right, brother. It's my honor to be here. If my name was Blake Blakeney, that would be uh, pretty cool as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his name is Zach, guys. <laughs> But yeah, welcome aboard, brother. Why don't you tell the listeners who you are and uh, how you got to where you're currently at today?
1: Yeah. So, you know, who I am, I'm an honest, integrous, loving, compassionate, graceful man. Uh, What I do with that, uh, I do a number of different things and I've done a number of different things in my lifetime in ways that I've served. Uh, Currently, uh, I'm serving men and helping them overcome porn addiction uh, in 120 days or less. Uh, and I also also work with my uh, girlfriend, and we have a big women's community where we work with Transformation for Women as well. Um, you know, it's kind of multifaceted at this point, but we run retreats, uh, you know, we have programs inside of their coursework. Uh, so, you know, I'm happy to be living the life that I'm living, grateful to be living the life that I'm living uh, compared to where I came from. So uh, for my story, I'll, I'll actually take you back to when I was around 29, 30 years old. And I was leaving the gym uh, with my now ex-wife. And as we were leaving the gym, she grabbed my hand and said, we need to talk. And if anybody has ever been in a relationship and you hear those four words, uh, typically that means there's some sort of serious conversation that that's about to be had. And for me, uh, those four words stimulated a whole bunch of anxiety. Uh, you know, I almost had an anxiety attack because I, I knew what the conversation was going to be about. Uh, Because ultimately, I'd been hiding from her, not very well, uh, a porn addiction that I'd had since I was 14 years old. So, uh, you know, going back to when I was 14, you know, this was like the year 2000. And uh, this is when we moved from dial-up AOL internet to broadband internet. And with high-speed internet uh, came the birth of internet pornography. And uh, it just got flooded with all these different types of genres and you know, I was 14 years old, horny, curious, and I had been told not to watch it. So I decided to start watching it. Now, at that time, I didn't know that that choice was going to lead to 16 years of absolute suffering, uh, but it did. So by the time I got into college, you know, things had gotten worse because I was by myself. I had my own computer and I was in my uh, I was in my room, you know, with my roommates, uh, probably jacking off to porn three times a day, telling them that I was studying all day. But uh, it really became a problem. and I started to experience a lot of the really negative effects that come from uh, porn addiction at a very young age. Uh, One of them is porn-induced erectile dysfunction. And so I'm in my early 20s having difficulty uh, performing with women, uh, but having no problem at all performing to watch porn. Uh, Also had a lot of social anxiety, uh, performance anxiety and this was all stimulated from the fact that i wasn't living true to who i was but at the time i had no idea who i truly was i was just a product of my conditioning and uh you know and what i've been told a man should be and all the different illusions that were put forth that were preventing me from being who i am so after a couple of failed relationships in my 20s uh you know i come to marrying my wife and you know, we had a really beautiful relationship up until the point where I had to start being vulnerable and transparent and had definitely lied to her a lot and was dishonest. That's what addiction does. But we got to the point where, you know, coming back to this point where we're leaving the gym, you know, we leave in the gym, we get into my car and uh, she asks to see my phone. And I reluctantly give it to her. And she grabs my phone, she goes to my in private browsing and she hits the Google search bar. And about five of my most you know, popular searches show up at the type of porn that I like to watch. Now I tell this story a lot and sometimes people are like, yeah, your in-private browsing doesn't save your searches. Well, in 2016 on an Android, it did because <laughs> it was my experience. Uh, so she, after she finds these searches, she just shows me the phone and says, what's this? And I said, I don't know, that wasn't me. She says, well, this is your phone. Who else could it be? And I said, I don't know. Somebody hacked my phone. That wasn't me. Now, while I'm in the middle of denying these things, uh, there's another voice that uh, awakens inside of me and seemingly coming from my heart. And it's saying very loudly, tell her the truth. Tell her the truth. So third time she asked, she says, look, if you don't tell me the truth right now, I'm going to leave you. And my immediate response, my conditioned response was to deny it again. The third time it wasn't me. But then I started breaking down crying. And I said, but I did watch that. So, uh, you know, this is the first time I was really awakened to seemingly two sides of me in a very like distinct way. And as I was driving home from this interaction, you know, in the worst shape of my life, you know, I started thinking about uh, seriously thinking about killing myself. You know, there was a a local sporting goods store that you know I could easily buy a gun and end it all, or I can you know drive my truck off the side of the road. And as I'm having this uh, conversation with myself, uh, the voice speaks up again and says, uh, "Who's listening? Who's the one listening to this internal rhetoric that you are experiencing?" And it got me curious because I didn't really know what the answer to that question at the time was. So that was one of the first questions that started to drive my own curiosity about, you know, who I am and and what I'm experiencing in my life. And about four weeks later, uh, you know, she comes home from work and I can tell that she doesn't want to talk. And by this time I was working on myself. I had gone to see a a sex therapist and uh, anxiety therapist and, you know, was considering going down the 12 step process. So I was working, you know, to the best I could to kind of resolve, you know, what happened and, and work on my own healing. But. She was not in a good mood. And at the time, you could classify my uh, communication style as anxious attachment, where she was anxious avoidant. And anxious attachment is, uh, there's a problem, I need to talk about it right now, and I'm not okay until we talk about it and resolve it. And anxious avoidant is, I don't want to talk about it right now, I'll talk about it when I want to talk about it. So I kept pushing her and pushing her uh, to talk about it to the point where she had locked herself in our closet. And, uh, you know, we're crying at this point, screaming at each other. And I was never physically abusive to her, but anybody that's been an addict that's had a partner knows that there's an emotional abuse that happens to that process, whether it's unconscious or conscious, it doesn't matter. It's just happening. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm laying on one side of the door and crying and just pleading with her not to leave me and that I'm working on it. And, you know, just give me a chance. And while I'm doing that, she swings open the door. And she says, I want to die. And she starts running for the kitchen, presumably to grab a knife. And I get up very quickly. And then I put myself in the door frame. And I say to her, you know, please don't do this. Don't do this. I'll go. I'll go. Now, in that moment, I had to deal with the immense shame of realizing that my actions had led the person uh, that I loved uh, in the world, most in the world, to want to not be on this planet anymore. And then another weird thing happened. It was like, uh, I was watching myself as a character, uh, in a movie and all the choices that I'd made in my life had led up to that point. I was like seeing them happen. And I could see exactly how this had occurred. So after the, uh, the, the energetic charge of that experience declined, she obviously did not kill herself. Um, I sat on the couch and again, back in a suicidal space, uh, the voice popped up again and said, Who's watching? Who's the one that's watching the movie of your life if you're the one that's in the movie? So, these two questions, who's listening and who's watching, uh, led me to start to explore first scientifically what had happened to me uh, during addiction. I wanted to know the science of it, you know, neuroplasticity, subconscious remapping, epigenetics. Um, Trauma is like the whole thing, so you know I got very uh, adept at understanding scientifically what was happening, and started to really start to transform and and move through the uh, who I was to who I am now. But that's a long journey from now. But there was something that was missing. Uh, there was something missing in all this unsubstantial information because ultimately science isn't substantial. It's just based off of research and what's happening now. But something was missing that was substantial. And that had driven me back into a relationship with God uh, in the way that I wanted to have a relationship with God, not in the way that uh, I had been taught uh, through my Catholic upbringing, but, you know, in my own experience of it. And then the best way I can describe it from here, man, is that I started to unlock some intuitive knowings, uh, some intuitive wisdom uh, that accelerated my ability to heal. And also my ability to guide other men in all sorts of different ways, whether it's self-awareness, emotional intelligence, healing, addiction, healing, uh, and really using a set amount of principles uh, that are aligned with experiential truth uh, that creates transformation for the other individual. So
0: So that's the long and short of it. Dude, that's awesome. First thing off, I love how I asked, you know, who you are. And you didn't respond with your name. And I think so many people do that. They just respond with who their name is, but that's ultimately not who you are. Like when someone asks me who I am, I've made the transition from saying, Oh, I'm Oliver Galachia, oh, I'm a loving, caring, enthusiastic, humble, disciplined young man. I'm not just my name, that's you know who I'm presented as, but that's not ultimately who I am. So first off, I just want to say, I love the fact that you said that because you are the first guest to do that, dude. And I love that. <laughs> that is phenomenal, dude. And the thing I want to touch on is like with your fit, with, you know, diving into your faith, I was brought up Catholic too, but I never really felt that way. Like, you know, that I had that great relationship my entire life being brought up and raised Catholic, but I ultimately found it within myself after getting past my drug addiction and stuff like that, which you know, addiction in all ways, shapes or form, like, you know, you got to have some sort of faith and, you know, find your way out of it by having that higher power help you. And ultimately, like, he's the only reason that I was able to overcome my drug addiction with cocaine, amphetamines and all that good stuff. It's just the fact that, you know, I had faith and he had a brighter future for me. But I continue to go down that dark path that, you know, I was led down. And I didn't really see a way out until I was actually able to have him basically smack me in the face and say, hey, this isn't the route you need to be going. Like, you're just going to run into problems kind of like with you and your wife, like you running into that problem. Like, you know, that was another way of him putting something in place. Like, yeah, you have a fucking problem. You need to deal with it. And I'm sure that he put little things in your path beforehand that showed you like, yeah, you had a problem with it. I'm sure you had realizations, but you didn't have that awareness around it quite yet that it was ultimately that big of a problem. And I think that's just phenomenal that you talked about that and that your faith is a big part of that and the fact that you do go above and beyond to help others guide them through this because something that you know I try to try talking to my father about I can definitely tell you that he has a porn addiction stuff like that but it's something that he's not willing to you know address that problem he's just you know that's just wired into him and stuff like that with his neuroplasticity it's just like that's just who he is now and at this point it's like you know you can't help someone that doesn't want to be helped so I've tried going down that path before. And I'm curious, you know, if there was one more thing you would recommend me try doing, like having a conversation, what would you kind of recommend me to say to them?
1: Well, uh, not not knowing the nature of your relationship, what it has been uh, and and what it currently is now. Super I, great relationship. Like, I'm
0: super tight with my dad. I love him to death. Yeah. Uh
1: so if you're if you're talking about him habitually using porn uh, and then what's happened in his life or what are the things that he wants to experience in his life that he hasn't yet experienced, uh, typically, those are the grander visions that we have for our life. You could call it like a deeper calling, whatever that might be. Um, and addiction is whatever form it comes in, prevents you from experiencing yourself as that highest version of yourself uh, and going after whatever that might be. So, It would just depend on where he is. You know, if I were going to use my father as an example, you know, I had a conversation with my father when uh, about 10 years ago, because that's when I was, not 10 years ago, it was about seven years ago. um, We had gone on a trip together to Egypt and uh, Israel uh, and Jordan. It was an incredible trip. Uh, And it was right after like my divorce. So I was still in my healing stage, but I had learned all these things about science. And uh, he said to me while we were sitting at a table eating lunch, he said, I I was so excited about change, right? And he was like, son, uh, I've been in the same brain for the last 61 years. You know, I know who I am. I'm not going to change. So if your father is going to take that stance, there's nothing that you can do. There's, There's literally nothing you can do. The only thing you can do is be the best version of yourself and be an example for change. Inspiration is inspiration happens because somebody witnesses something in somebody else that they would like to aspire to be. The only reason, the only way that can be, is that that person is carrying uh, the energy or the example of an attribute that that other person wants to be. But the more you try and change somebody else, the more resistance you're going to feel from that person to change. Uh, Ultimately, you are. People don't realize this, but like, it's coming from a good place, like I want something more for you. But by you saying that to them, they're inversely saying, well, I'm not good enough. If you want me to be more, that must mean that in my current form, that I'm not good enough. And they're going to be resistant to that type of change because of this underlying cause of unworthiness. And a lot of times we're just triggering people's unworthiness by telling them that they can be more than they are. So I can tell somebody they can be more than they are. Or I can be the example of what they want to be. I'm the example of what they want to be. They become curious. They start asking questions. And when they start asking questions, that means that they're opening to receiving feedback on how they can also transform their life. And this actually has to do with very a deeper, a deeper uh, experiential truth, or or uh, it's a it's something that we all have as human beings, which is free will choice. And our free will choice is our source of our freedom. It is our God-given right to choose and create the life that we want to create unimpeded. Well, that's what I meant when I was telling my own story that, like, I'd been told not to watch porn. What's the first thing that happens when you tell somebody not to do something? They get curious. Why shouldn't I do this? And wait, why are you telling me I can't do something? That creates the resistance that actually creates the person to most likely do the thing you don't want them to do. So when you have free will and you respect it, what I mean by respecting is that you're not trying to make them be something that you want them to be. You're trying to offer them an opportunity for them to step into what they say they want. And that's completely different. And by being an example, the curiosity comes from their own free will to ask questions about those things, which then opens them up to receiving what you have to say. But this is why unsolicited advice goes Typically not well because they aren't open to receiving your advice, even if it's good advice, they didn't ask for it. So they're not going to listen to it. So I hope that helps in a sense of answering these questions. Yeah, no, that definitely does. I just know so many people that want something more for the people around them because they love them, but they're actually not showing them the way that can get them to do what they want them to do because they're trying to force it upon them rather than being the example of it.
0: Yeah, no, that's something I used to try doing. Like when I first got like you know healthy and stuff like that, and changed my life around, I was trying to you know push all my family members to do the same thing. And uh, ultimately, that kind of ended very badly. And I was like, well, guess what? I'm not gonna you know chase down that rabbit hole and try going that route. I'll just lead by example. And you know, I've had more and more people continue to reach out, and that's helped me out. Like you can't you can't force someone to change unless they're truthfully ready to. And the more you push on them, the less likely they're going to be. And I've learned that firsthand especially family and friends is like you know you can only want the best for someone but ultimately like they have to want want it themselves and that's the only way they'll ever change so like i think my my dad with the porn addiction i think that's kind of a lost cause where he's stuck in his ways and i don't think like even though i'm five years from you know watching any porn or anything like that i don't think that he will ever change that way so that just opened up my mind to it so appreciate that yeah absolutely brother it's my honor so why do you think it is like, you know, such a big problem in society, especially in men with, you know, porn? Why is that such a big deal now?
1: Well, the first thing is, is that most men uh, and women are as well, but let's just talk about it from the men uh, point of view as one that a lot of them are motivated by sex. Um, there is some sort of uh, masculine, you know, hierarchy of, hey, if you have, you know, a sexual prowess, or to have sex with women that somehow makes you more of a man, which, you know, we know isn't true, but that's how we think about it. Uh, and then also the just availability of pornography. Uh, and then we talk about the, I'll tell you about like the four levels of attachment to pornography that actually creates it as being one of the hardest addictions to overcome. So one availability, you know, if I want to get drugs, I need to know a drug dealer and I need to go find a drug dealer. Then I need to, you know, pay them, do all these different things it's a process. Even if I want to buy alcohol, I got to go buy it somewhere. It's not just like right in front of me. If I want to watch porn, I can do it on this computer we're on. I can do it on my phone. It's, it's easy access. Um, so very cheap, easy dopamine and access to dopamine in that way. Now, once you start exploring it, uh, as I did, you know, you'll find out that maybe you'll start with like, you know, regular heterosexual porn if you're a heterosexual man uh, and then the way that pornography sites are set up, it's like, oh, you're watching one video and here's 50 other videos around here. And a lot of them are different in genre from the one you're watching. So then you start watching all these different genres that bring you down uh, into this jungle of sex that is in no way what sex actually is. So it creates this false perception of right what sex is. And then when you end up uh, masturbating to pornography, your body releases a massive amount of dopamine and oxytocin. So the orgasm creates oxytocin. Well, oxytocin is the binding chemical, which means that you actually become binded to pornography and you create a relationship with it. You have a sexual relationship essentially with a computer, but you also have it with the imagery that you know, you're know you watching on the, sc- on the screen. Now, because society has shame sex, for in all different ways sexual expression uh if you think about religions if you said you're raised catholic it's a sin to have sex before marriage it's a sin to masturbate and sin equals you did a bad thing which means there's guilt attached to that and there's shame about to that as well Uh, because there's these perceptions after you orgasm many times if you're addicted you'll also then start beating yourself up afterwards i did a bad thing feeling guilty Uh, i am a bad person shame So it's a massive emotional roller coaster from stress that you might be feeling in your present moment, that your body produces cortisol, to wanting to escape that stress and find dopamine. This is the searching through pornography, to masturbating to it, orgasming to it, now creating oxytocin, and then moving back into cortisol and norepinephrine that's created from shame and guilt. So it's this massive wave of emotions that people go through. The hard part is, is after you do that, you bring that shame and guilt back into your present moment. So now you start to create, quote unquote, emotional baggage, and you're just creating more stress inside of your present moment, which makes you want to escape more. And again, the availability of the escape is right at my fingertips. It doesn't mean I need to go buy drugs, right? So this is really what makes it a really hard thing for people to have and to do. You know, there's very little drugs that create oxytocin. I think MDMA is one of the only ones that really creates oxytocin. All the rest of them is dopamine and serotonin and sometimes cortisol with cocaine and stuff like that, that your body's addicted to this biochemical cocktail. And that's really the main problem that we experience as men. So if you take all of this and then you start to look out into uh, how we've situated the dating world which is now the dating world is the same thing, swipe right, swipe left, and it's all mostly about sex when you come to the online space, we've essentially created this, I don't know, this cloud of confusion around what it actually means to be a partner for somebody else and what sex actually is. So the reason why pornography is so difficult for men to get away from is these four levels of attachment. So the first level is the mental level. And let me uh, say one thing real quick is I like to reframe pornography to actually call it an entity because it gives you the opportunity to see the relationship you have with it. So I call the entity your mistress. So pornography is the mistress, right? And really, when you think about it, if you're in a relationship with somebody and you're doing porn on the side, it feels the same. There's guilt and shame around not being faithful to your partner. So you have the mental attachment. These are all the stories that you've made, all the rationalizations that you've made, the excuses, the reasons on why you use porn. Then you go to the biochemical uh, physical attachment. So we talked about the biochemical cocktail that it creates that creates you being addicted to it. Then the emotional attachment, which is we're talking about the shame, the guilt, even the ecstasy of the orgasm, all that different stuff that's attached to it. And then you have a spiritual attachment to it. And when I use the word spiritual, I'm really meaning the religious trauma that creates the cycle to continue to happen. That in some way you're going to hell or in some way you're bad. In some way there's you're you're not of a godly man because you're doing this activity which actually creates it to continue to happen so it's a very difficult addiction to detach from if you don't have a strategy that you can start to detach these uh, attachments and start to see clearly who you are without pornography in your life
0: yeah no that's incredible that was that was a whole lot so the audience definitely rewind that to really uh, dive deep into how that actually works because that was was a lot for me to handle there but (laughs) it was that was spot on there dude that was that really has me thinking you know the emotional attachment you have behind it is just like you know i don't know why when i quit porn i don't know why it was necessarily so easy maybe it was just because i was so invested in trying to find an actual partner and actually experiencing like what love was and the fact that i definitely knew that i'd heard a lot of bad things like porn rots your brain it does a lot of bad stuff for you takes like it's not real sex. And then once I you know, was able to kick in, had sex after a few months, it was night and day difference from before because I had all these trials in my past where I was like, yeah, this is just sex. And I basically would rather jack off compared to actually going out and trying to find a partner to actually experience this with enjoyable. And it was just like. I guess it just clicked with me a lot faster than it does with a lot of guys, because, you know, I don't know if it was just like the amount of time guys have been doing it or just, you know, how the neuroplasticity with the brain works with that is just, you know, maybe it was just because they did it a lot longer than me that it was easier. Or it was just the fact that I was seeking something further and I knew that there was more to be had that comes with an intimate relationship, like you said we have with, you know, technically the mistress behind the screen. It's just like, you know, having that be my you know goal is to find someone to experience life with compared to me just sitting behind the screen jacking off all the time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, man. I, you know, that's it's different for everyone. You know, I've run into guys that watch porn and from what I can tell and also just hearing them and, and witnessing whether it's coming from a space of truth or not. It's not something that they're addicted to they don't get addicted to it. it's something that they do and they they have no emotional attachment to it it's just like just watch porn Uh, it doesn't seem to have any sort of um, negative effect on their relationships it doesn't have any some any negative effect on their business how they're operating their their life and it just goes back to how do you individually interpret what you're doing and really it is whether or not you accept and love the habit that you're doing or whether you deny shame and guilt yourself for the habit that you're doing, and the uh, the the thing that doesn't make logical sense is that when you end up loving yourself for something that you're doing, uh, you release the attachment to it. You just you do it or you don't do it, like it's up to you. But it's the the shame and guilt is the thing that actually keeps people coming back to it because all they're doing is creating an identity loop of this is a behavior that is attached to me being a shameful person. So if I'm a shameful and guilty guilty person, then a possible behavior is is that I'm going to uh, then have actions. So identify with being shameful, then I have an action. The action is watch porn. That's the loop. The loop then reinforces that I'm a shameful person. So I'm going to keep doing that thing because at the core, I believe that's who I am. So it's also looking at this in a sense, there's something I'll call like the four walls of dishonesty. And this is something that, you know, anybody that's listening, you could take this and start using this as a journaling prompt, and you can do your inner work pretty quickly this way. Now it works with addiction, but I'm here to say that everybody is addicted to something. And ultimately the, the, the biggest addiction we have is this never ending search for fulfillment outside of ourselves. So these four walls, the first one is denying. So Uh, If you're in the middle of an addiction, right, you're going to deny that it's either a problem in your life, or you might deny that you're even doing it. The interesting thing about denial is that just by denying it, you're confirming that it exists. You're confirming that it is a problem in your life because you wouldn't deny something that isn't a problem. And that's getting down to like the core of understanding that you're giving it power by denying it. If you didn't deny it, it would not have no power. And that power ends up running your show. Uh, The next one is hiding, hiding. So what you hide, you hide from others because you most likely feel shameful about it. I've never met somebody that hides something that they're proud of. The only thing that we hide are the things that we don't want other people to see. And we're in the middle of addiction. We'll do whatever we can to hide it from the people and have a forward facing mask that we're wearing to say, hey, this is who I am. But I'll hide all these things that I'm not proud of that I don't want you to know I'm doing. And hiding it perpetuates the pattern because ultimately because you're hiding it, you're not only hiding it from other people, but you're hiding it from yourself in a way. You're saying, that's not me, but you're doing it. So there's this disconnect and divide between these things. The next one is lying. And you know that's pretty straightforward when it comes to dishonesty, but there's a lot of forms of lying, right? I mean, there's fabrication, uh, you know, telling stories that aren't exactly true, but putting your own spin on it to make yourself look better. There's flat out lying that people do in addiction. The number one lie that people say is this will be the last time. Can't tell you how many times I said this is going to be the last time. And then the last time wasn't the last time until I stopped saying that. Uh, And then the last one is trying. And a lot of times people don't think about trying as being dishonest, but I, I like to tell people, I like, look, trying is a cop out for you. Can't tell me how many guys I've talked to that says, well, I'm trying to quit. Well, trying to quit means that you're not actually quitting. Right. So trying is this weird thing that our brain does to make us feel temporarily better. I feel better because at least I'm trying. But then long term, we suffer because we're not getting the results that we want to get. So we're just lying to ourselves in that present moment uh, to perpetuate the pattern to continue to happen. So if you were to take these things, uh, denying, hiding, lying and trying, you just ask yourself the question, what am I denying that actually exists? What am I hiding from other people that I don't want to know about? How am I lying to myself and others? and what have I been trying to do that I'm not achieving, and you use those as a journaling prompt, you will find the walls that are preventing you from being your authentic self. You also find the walls that are perpetuating patterns that you don't like in your life.
0: No, that's, dude, that is phenomenal because I know when I was going through my addiction with, you know, cocaine and and amphetamines and stuff like that is like, you know, at first it started with I'm denying it. You know, it's not a problem. I just do it on the weekends. And then it was like, I was Doing it on during the weekdays and shit too and I was like oh it's you know just this special event and I was denying the fact that it was a problem and the fact that like I then it went into number two I was hiding it it wasn't like everyone and their cousin knew about it like you know the tight niche group of people that I did it with they knew about it and because we were all on the same page we we're all a fucking addicts at that point and then it goes into lying to yourself like you know I was just lying to myself and you know I'd create stories you know fabricating and same you know, it's not as bad as it may seems, even though I'm fucking railing lines and doing Molly and Ecstasy and stuff every weekend. And then it went into like, Oh, I'm trying to quit, but I would, you know, I'd not do it during the week or I'd still do it on the weekends. And it's like, well, you're not doing it. You're not actually doing it. Like there's no trying. There's only, only doing it. And like you said, it just leads to further, you know, further problems down the road because, you know, ultimately like you're just prolonging quitting and not in actually achieving the end result and that just hurts you even more and more it's like there is no trying there's only doing like you can do it or you don't like there's no in between and i think a lot of people struggle with that it's like oh i've been whether that be with weight loss you know i've been trying to lose weight but have you been trying no you haven't really been trying because you'd be doing it the scale would represent it like there's you know you can see the outcomes as they continue to come and that goes like with any type of addiction or anything of that nature, is like if people were just to follow these four. And I actually wrote those like prompts down because you know there is things in my life that I still need to continue to work on. And I'm gonna actually use that as a journal prompt. So, audience out there, rewind this back five minutes and listen to what, the last thing that Zach said, and actually put into the like journal down the four walls of dishonesty because this could help you change your life. I. I I guarantee it's changed many people's lives because he's a coach for a reason. I'm sure he makes damn good money helping men overcome their problems and, you know, their addictions by just simply having them do these steps and, you know, take the time to actually do this yourself because ultimately like you're here for a reason. You listen to my show to get fucking better. And like, this is a huge opportunity for you to identify, you know, areas in your life that you need addressing that you've been putting off and which ultimately led you to being unfulfilled and not living the life that you were meant to be. So really, please go back and listen to that last five minutes. I appreciate that, Zach, because that's huge.
1: Yeah, man. And I I just want to say again, like, although it works with uh, people that are struggling with addiction, this is also just generalized, like, whether you are struggling with addiction or not, like, these are the four walls that prevent you from being your authentic self. Um, And if you start diving into it, you'll be able to see like, oh, this is how I'm imprisoning my own soul from being seen.
0: Uh, by putting up these fake walls uh, that aren't actually who i am so how did you come about like figuring this stuff out like was it all just research or
1: man that's that's going back to that part of my story where all i can tell you is that i've gotten access to intuitive wisdom, and uh, these things come through. I mean, there's, I don't want to say that I can't, I've not learned from outside sources. I have, you know, I mean, I've I've had some incredible teachers and coaches and guides in my own life that have helped me with these things. Uh, but the four walls of dishonesty, that was something that came from inside of me. I was like, oh, let me see what I'm doing. Uh, the majority of my knowledge about others has come from my own inner work that I've done. Uh, because ultimately what's most personal is most universal. So the things that I experience inside of myself, uh, our ego makes us believe that it's just our problems and that we're special in some sort of way when that's not true. We're literally all connected through our suffering uh, as humans. Uh, And the more we get connected with our own suffering, the more we can see it in other people and what they're experiencing. I can typically tell if a guy is struggling with porn, uh, by the energy that they are carrying. And by the way that I talk about it, if the conversation comes up, I, I go to like networking events and, you know, when somebody asks me what I do, I'll be like, well, I do this and I do that. But once I say porn, I would, I could be in the middle of like, you know, a group of five guys and three of them will look away. Right. And one of them will keep looking at me. I was like, all right, you three got a problem with it. And it's just coming from intuition. Um, and that's just something that I, I just say it's a God given gift that I unlock through my own healing.
0: No, that's that's honestly awesome, man, because yeah, it is a huge problem with people. And just the fact that like, you know, when the topic is brought up, whether like, you know, it be porn or any other addiction, and you can just, you know, talking to a group of people, you can just see it in their demeanor of pe like in their demeanor of themselves is like that person's struggling with it is because they're not af- they're afraid to face it and have a conversation about it because it's something that they deep down know that they're fucked with and that they're really really struggling with so that's really awesome man i love to hear that you know you're able to uh, have the intuition to be able to see things like that and a lot of things like with, with you said you you had all these external sources that definitely helped you out but ultimately it came down to you looking inward And I think that's where most people like struggle is they want all the information they need the answers all externally but truthfully if you just look inward for most of the answers and the audience listening you guys got to really think about this is like any problems or any adversity you're facing you can, the first thing you should be doing is looking inward before externally because you know most of the answers and if you can't then you go externally but You know, like Zach is saying, like it all came from intuition and looking inward within himself that he came up with the four walls of dishonesty because he looked at what he was struggling with and where he was fucking up, and which ultimately led him to living the life that he does now. He looked inward before looking externally because you know you can go down a lot of bad paths looking externally first, but if you look internally, your your higher self knows what you want out of life. And ultimately it's gonna guide you in that way. And I'm super happy that Zach was able to do this. And I've been able to do that too. And that's something like before I even go looking for information extra, I'll listen to myself, my inner self, like will tell me most likely what I need to do in order to get to where I need to go. And that's something I think a lot of people struggle with. Yeah.
1: Well, in the so in doing the inner work too, you know, stories, the stories we tell ourselves prevent us from seeing the patterns that are in our life. Um, and I'll use an example of my own. So my father uh, witnessed my grandfather. My grandfather was an alcoholic and kind of uh, abusive uh, in their relationship. So my father looked at my grandfather and said, I never want to be like my grandfather, right, or his dad. Well, my dad became exercise anorexic and OCD, Uh, and that's how we were raised. So when I was raised, my father, loving man, but just like if he didn't do his routine and he didn't do the things that he was going to do, like he was terrible to be around. Um, and ultimately, that didn't leave a lot of time. His routine didn't leave a lot of time for myself and my mom and my sister. So I looked at my dad. It was like, uh, I don't want to be like my dad. And I actually was starting to say that, you know, to myself in my late 20s, like I don't want to end up like my father, which is also is my is subconsciously telling me that I am being that denial. Uh, but then I looked at my father, and said, I don't want to be my father. Well, I became a porn addict. And got also lost in drugs for two years. So when I looked out at the stories, this, this it's like, I don't want to be that, but I'm going to create a new story. But it's the same pattern. Addiction, addiction, addiction. That's the pattern. Different addiction, alcohol, routine, porn. It was the same pattern. So many times people, when they're dealing with patterns, uh, they'll have different stories and they'll say, well, this is different from the last time. Because it's a different story, but it's the same pattern. So really, this is about getting even deeper, detaching away from the stories and start looking at the the patterns and how they're showing up. And that's by actually moving into your emotional space, because the emotions that you experience inside of you is cause. There's an effect to those. So this is the principle of cause and effect. This is a universal, immutable law. You can't get around it. But people don't realize that the cause of something is the energy that we're carrying. The energy, energy in motion is the emotion that we're experiencing that's creating us to think and then act from that space, which is the effect. So once you start looking into the patterns in your life from the energetic space and emotional space, then you're going to start to see that the stories that you're telling yourself are preventing you from seeing the deeper truth inside of you.
0: That's a whole lot to wrap my head around, brother. I'm not gonna lie, that is a lot. But that, that is spot on. That is, I mean, because you can be addicted to just about anything. Like, I definitely can look back and be like, yeah, there was a time I was definitely addicted to my routines, you know, I was addicted to porn, you know, all these things. And, you know, just being able to, you know, take a step back and look at it from that perspective, like, I don't want to be so caught up in one thing that, you know, I have to miss out on certain parts of my life, like, you know, your father with your family and stuff like that. It's like, you can't be so involved or like, you know, strict to something that it takes away from other areas of your life because it's going to ultimately have like resentment and stuff like that. And it's just wild to comprehend, like, you know, how many people actually struggle with that, whether that be, you know, being super addicted to their routines and structure and stuff like that, or whether it be drugs or porn or any other vices that ultimately hold them back from actually achieving what they desire out of life. That's just, it's a lot to wrap my head around. I'm gonna to have to go back and listen to that one again myself. That's for sure. So for the audience, you guys are definitely gonna to need to. Yeah, it's uh, it's just
1: realizing that one you're 100 percent responsible for your choices and your life experiences. Uh, so sometimes it's hard for people to wrap their mind around that. Like, how could I create something unwanted in my life? Well, having is evidence of wanting. So you're it's in your experience. So in some way. the cause of that i'll give you an example of um i'll I'll leave my my client nameless and everything nameless inside it but just an example of what this is so i'm working with you know one of my clients and you know he had porn addiction right so he was hiding that from his girlfriend at the time uh well his girlfriend ended up cheating on him with a friend and she was hiding that from him uh and then they broke up and then we started working together and like he's He was telling me the story. He's like, you know, she cheated on me. She gaslit me. She did all these things. I'm like, okay, cool. So how are you responsible for creating that? And he's like, well, I don't don't understand. How could I be responsible for what she's doing? I was like, well, can you see that you've done this to yourself in this life? Or that even maybe you have done it to her? Were you hiding porn from her? Yeah. Okay. So you're doing that internally. And what is the cause of you doing that? Shame. Okay. Yeah. Because you didn't want to actually talk about it. So you hit it. So then you holding that inside of yourself creates an energetic resonance, a frequency to attract an experience for you to experience your shame outside of yourself, whether that's porn, that could be one thing, or maybe it's that your partner mirrors you and does the exact same thing. As As I've said, porn is a mistress. So ultimately you have the same experience of cheating on your wife or your girlfriend at the time by watching porn and not telling her and feeling the shame and guilt. And then she mirrors you. And actually does cheat on you and the reality of it, but it's still the same feeling. Shame and guilt, shame and guilt. You attracted the two of you in that way. I was like, what if you weren't holding it in? What if you would have shown up in complete transparency and complete love with who you are? Do you think she would have did that to you? It's like, well, I don't know. Or exactly, you won't know, but it would have been a different outcome than what it was. So that's what I mean by getting really deep into responsibility. There's so many people that you know that they get cheated on or they get fired or they get like all these different things happen in their life and they're like victimized by it. you know, is that person's fault? is this thing? You no. Know, how are you responsible for get, for losing your job? How are you responsible for not for for your girlfriend cheating on you? How are you responsible until you can look at it through that lens of responsibility, you'll keep perpetuating the pattern because you're not actually looking inside to see how you're creating it. So that's what I mean when I come to like a deep level of responsibility because most people don't want to carry that. They would rather blame. They would rather put the energy somewhere else not realizing that they're suffering through that pattern and the only way to break that pattern is to take a different look at it and how am I responsible for doing this and then you can actually start to shift your behavior to create a new outcome and a new experience.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that makes me really think about uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willings. Like, that's a phenomenal book. And like that helped me change my life because ultimately, like, you know, what I'm in a leadership position within my cannabis company and coaching. And like, you know, if my team is failing, it's ultimately on me because they could have been led a different direction. I could, you know, I could easily point the fingers like, oh, yeah, this was Carrie's fault. She didn't do this or this was this first fault. But ultimately, that does fucking nothing it's my fault. I'm the leader at the end of the day. I'm the one supposed to make sure they're on track and stuff like that. And that can be applicable to any area of your life. You know, if you just start accepting like ownership of, you know, the results, because there's ultimately, there's something you could have done differently to get a different outcome. And it's on you hundred percent. And like that comes down to just controlling what you can't control in your life. And ultimately like the four things you can't control is, you know, your thoughts, your actions, um, your word. And, um, uh, your emotions, if you control those four things, you can control most of your life. And I think a lot of people really struggle with the fact that like, it's a lot easier to just point the finger and play the victim card. But it's also a lot more rewarding and fulfilling within yourself to actually just accept ownership. And it's like, it's easier to get old because you can point the finger at someone forever instead of actually looking in the mirror where the actual, you know, problem You know, came from is like within yourself. Like, if you can figure that out, you can actually dictate your future and you can change that and learn from it compared to, oh, you know, this person fucked up here and now it's, uh, you know, it's that person's fault. But if you look at it in the mirror, like, okay, this person messed up, but how could I have led them differently? How could I put them down the right path? How could we have avoided this? that makes you think a whole lot differently. And that's going to allow you to not make that same mistake because, you know, people get caught in these cycles where they're like consistently these problems are happening, but yet they don't want to look in the mirror and see where the root of the problem is actually coming from.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, your external world is a mirror reflection of your internal world only 100% of the time. (laughs) (laughs) If you can create that type of ownership and responsibility in your life, then you'll realize that you can create
0: anything. I love that. So you had one of the things that you talk about is like, why does, you know, society shame sex, even though it's like the very act of creating new life?
1: Yeah, Uh, I'll just say that this is my opinion and take what you want with this. Anybody that's listening, Um, sex is so if we think about uh, your sexual energy is the same thing as your life force energy, it's the same thing. Um, so energetically or in a spiritual plane, uh, we're talking about, uh, the orange energy center or the sacral, uh, and you can identify with this energy center by realizing that when you're feeling sexually aroused, your lower stomach will, you know, have this flash of, of, of energy. Um, but that same energy is the energy that can be used to create life, right? So to have sex and to create life or to create your life. So if uh, you have a ruling class uh, that doesn't want anybody else to have the power that they have, then they might create things that will distract the population away from discovering the highest version of themselves. Well, if the highest version of yourself has to do with you wanting to live life and live life to the fullest, then why not drain that energy out of population? So let's create something called a phone first. And we're gonna then create social media. And then the social media and this phone together is gonna keep people distracted from living the life and stepping into their own life force. Uh, That feeling of shame, guilt, coincidentally is in the same emotional center, right? So you feel shameful, your stomach's gonna feel uncomfortable. You feel guilty, your stomach feels uncomfortable. So instead of using that energy for something to change the world or to be more uh, alive inside of your experience, uh, you're being drained through their phone, through social media. And also, let's go ahead and drain out your seed as a man or even as a woman, as pornography is becoming a problem for women as well and orgasming to these things. You're releasing energy that could be used to uh, actually revitalize yourself and create more motivation and create more self-knowing through the process. So I see this as the forces of uh, negative and positive or forces of fear and love. Uh, where fear comes from a place of control. And if we look out, we look at our media, if we look out at our, um, our governments, uh, if we look at anything that's being spit out, it's all fear-based. And all this fear is trying to influence you to choose to try to escape the fear. And when we escape, we escape into social phones, whatever else, drugs, alcohol, whatever it might be. So I feel like there is a design that is coming from a uh, group of people that we could say is an elite group of people that you could call an oligarchy you could call it whatever you want to call it that has intentionally created these things to distract people from discovering who they are by draining their sexual life force energy
0: and that's just my view on it that's a great view i definitely noticed like when I was going through a while there where I wasn't seeing anyone was not having sex or anything, I was a lot more driven. And like, I was able to fight off the urges and I was able to use that power for greater things. And, uh, I think like, you know, this, like people, you know, it'd be great to just sit around and just have sex all day, but ultimately you'd never achieve fucking anything. Like, you know, if you had that opportunity to just do that, I think, you know, you would live a very unfulfilling life, even though you'd have all those, know the dopamine spikes and stuff like that with having sex you would still live a life that is very unfulfilling and rewarding if you're able to utilize and harness that energy and use it towards something else and i think like that's a big problem with like porn addiction is the fact that like you know guy you know masturbates or whatnot watches porn and he gets off and then you know is he out getting after chasing the best version of himself right after no he's satisfied he's you know got that he overcome that craving and now he's chilling and I think like a lot of people like, you know, struggle with that is like, you know, it would be great to be able to, you know, have that constant dopamine hit or whatnot, but at the same time, like you're never going to actually pursue anything worthwhile after that. If you continuously just do that time after time, after time again.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the people in power are wanting to create. And when I say this, I'm, I'm not talking about every single individual. I'm just talking about if we can just observe out and see what's happening uh, in our society. Um, they want to create dependence on them, right? That dependence is whether to live, right? The government's already talking about like different checks and universal healthcare and universal, you know, pay and things like that. Um, if, you look, if you look into Prop 2030 uh, for the WHO, you'll find a whole bunch of what I would consider to be evil, nefarious things that they would like to do. Um, one of those things being to microchip people, put that into transhumanism. Uh, to take away from eating beef, uh, to uh, make it so that everybody doesn't own anything, but people are renting things instead. Uh, If you do some research into BlackRock, BlackRock owns right now about 40% of the homes in America by buying up massive amounts of homes uh, because they have, you know, they were a trillion dollar company, something like that. Uh, And they have a goal to own 80% of the American homes uh, by 2030 um home prices are so expensive now that the middle class is struggling to own it so why not just rent right there is they're creating a dependency on them and uh by taking away from the possibility that you have something inside you that can create solutions that get us out of this uh, pathway that we seem to be walking on um so yeah that's going into like i said you know conspiracy whatever you want to call it i just look out and i observe how things are showing up and what things are looking like and uh and kind of sit in the reality of where we are right now
0: yeah man you see it just how i do and i definitely uh we go on for hours and hours talking about all that (laughs) shit but it looks like we're about to run out of time (laughs) here So it was a great conversation with you, man. There's tons of value in this. It can be applied whether you have an addiction problem with porn or anything else, you know, just the four walls of dishonesty. If you guys ask yourself those questions and journal about that, that can help change your life. You can fix a lot of shit in your life. And I know I'm going to use it and I'm going to let you guys know how it goes in the next couple of weeks on one of the solo podcasts. But, you know, where can they find you at, Zach?
1: Yeah, man. Uh, So luckily, nobody has my name. You can find me at Zach Blakeney uh, on Instagram, TikTok um, you know, you can also find on my website, uh, www.iambornfree backslash get free now, uh, or backslash free training. Uh, either one of those can take you to some free
0: resources that I have, uh, or just to get contacting me directly. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it a lot, brother. It was so much value in here. I'm going to have to re-listen to this one and I'm definitely going to keep in touch with you man, because you seem like an aw- awesome dude making a difference in the world and I love connecting with like-minded people that are trying to make a difference, man. Thank you, Oliver. I'm grateful to be on with you, brother. Thank you. So, as you guys know, you know, I don't, you know, run any advertisements or anything of that nature on the show. And the only way to actually, uh, you know, continue to grow the show is by you guys sharing. You guys have been doing an awesome job with that, so it's greatly appreciated. Uh, the only thing you know, I ask you guys to share the shows because we're trying to inspire and impact millions of people's lives. Uh, throughout my journey here on Earth, and you know, the only way I'm able to do that is with your guys's help. So I greatly appreciate it. If you guys have any questions or anything for Zach, make sure to reach out to him. And if you have any questions or anything like that for me, it's Oliver Goulet at TheFreshHope.com. Uh, don't don't hesitate to reach out. I'm always here to help. And same with Zach, whatever you may be dealing with, you know, we're here, two guys here trying to make a difference. So. With that being said, always remember there's a fresh hope for a better